One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. The Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. We have ourselves a sweet 16 people. That's right. A lot of you asked me why was there no episode on Monday. And the bottom line was, in my opinion, it did not make sense to do an episode on Monday when there were still games to be played on the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. So this is the opening show of the week. You did not miss anything on Monday, but we got so much to get into. We will talk about all the different elements as we are now down to 16 teams. The opening weekend of the NCAA tournament is done. We will talk about all the upsets. We will talk about the Big Ten falling flat on its face. We will, of course, talk about the Pac-12, Bill Walton, Conference of Champions, four Sweet 16 teams from the Pac-12. We'll talk about the other stuff, too. Gonzaga, a sixth straight Sweet 16. Alabama in their first uh, Sweet 16 since 2004. Arkansas, first Sweet 16 since 1996. How about them hogs? And we'll wrap with all the other good stuff from the course of this week. Also, for people kind of trying to figure out what the schedule is like with this this Tuesday opening episode of the week, I will probably have my buddy Nick Coffey on on maybe Thursday to kind of look back at this first weekend, look ahead to the weekend ahead, and then Friday will be your full-scale preview of the Sweet 16, of the Elite Eight. So much to get into. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you're subscribed, make sure to subscribe, wherever you listen, make sure to subscribe on the Aaron Torres Podcast. And it's important to note, if you are listening on the KSR feed, come on over, find me, Go ahead, hit that subscribe button on the Aaron Torres podcast feed. We want to blow this one up. I have thrown a few episodes on the KSR feed here because it is March Madness. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. I, of course, have the YouTube page. So many places to find me. Uh, and one last announcement before we actually get into uh, the weekend that was in college basketball. And oh my goodness, what a weekend it was. Incredible, one of the great weekends ever. So great to have college basketball back. But before we get to the weekend rewind, I want to remind you, this episode of the Aaron Torres Podcast is brought to you by our friends at PicksWise. PicksWise is the number one home of free sports betting picks. You can find the who, how, and why behind every pick for every sport, every game, every day, all for free, all at PicksWise.com. Throughout March, PicksWise is running a college basketball handicapping contest featuring some of the best experts in the game. Get free daily picks and analysis from the likes of John Rothstein, Rashad Phillips, and more. Head over to PicksWise.com now to see which expert is hot as they battle it out for a winner-takes-all $10,000 cash prize. Make your next bet better with PicksWise. So thank you again to PicksWise. And with that said, people, there is no more time to waste. Let's get into it because, as I said, 
We are through the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. We officially have a Sweet 16 on the books. And I got to tell you guys, did you guys have fun the last couple days or what? Because I know I've said it a million times, but it really does feel like I don't feel like I realized how much I missed this tournament, how much I missed this time of year until we not only lost it last year, but got it back this year. I don't think I realized how much I missed Champ Week, how much I missed Selection Sunday, how much I missed filling out a bracket, how much I missed my bracket going up in flames, which, by the way, I apologize to all of you who took my bracket advice. My bracket advice was terrible, but... I loved it. I loved this weekend. I even loved the weird, quirky Friday to Monday schedule. Maybe that's a conversation I'll have with Nick Coffey here in the coming days. But in the meantime, I do want to talk about the big storylines from the weekend. There are a few. I think, to me, the Big Ten is actually probably the most interesting. But in terms of the ups, uh, in terms of the biggest stories, I think there's no doubt about it. I think the single biggest story of the NCAA tournament was all of the upsets, the insanity that 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 happened over the course of this weekend. And oh my goodness, were there so many upsets? Uh, and it wasn't just like it felt like there were a lot of upsets; like there were literally more upsets than ever in the history of the NCAA tournament through two opening rounds. The NCAA, I saw this stat; it's kind of interesting. The NCAA um, put out this stat that they consider an upset to be any time a team that is five seeds apart beats one that is five seeds apart. So basically, a seven losing to a 10 is not considered an upset. But a 12 beating a five, a four losing to a 13, a two obviously losing to a 15, an 11 losing, beating a six, those are considered upsets. And this year, we had more true upsets five seeds apart than have ever happened in the history of the NCAA tournament, according to the NCAA, according to David Warlock, a great follow on Twitter. There had never been more than 10 quote-unquote upsets with seeds five, you know, five seeds apart before this year. This year, there were 12, and you know who they were, but to just kind of give a quick recap, I'm not going to go through all of them, but the upsets were absolutely just, just staggering, really, uh, as Oral Roberts is a 15 seed beats both Ohio State and Florida, as um, Oregon State beats Tennessee and Oklahoma State, as Syracuse beats West Virginia and beats San Diego State, as North Texas beats Purdue, as Abilene Christian beats Texas, on and on and on and on and on. Incredible weekend of upsets. And I think the single biggest question that I have gotten as it pertains to the upsets is actually pretty simple. Why has it happened? Why did we have so many more upsets this year than we've ever had before? And so a lot of you have asked me, and I've done a lot of thinking about it because this is all I do. I sit around and I just think about weird stuff like why are there so many upsets in the 2021 NCAA tournament? I came up with three reasons that I think why. The first one is a reason that we've talked about probably for about four, five, six years now. It's not really new, but I do think it needs to be discussed. And that's that the gap between the quote-unquote really bad teams and the quote-unquote really good teams, it's just not as big as it used to be. I mean, if you think back to even six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, you had even the, the good teams from the good programs. Yeah, you had a guy or two leave a year or two early. But for the most part, it was veteran teams with veteran players that had all been together, had played together for a long time, and that's just not the case anymore. We obviously have some exceptions, like Gonzaga, like Baylor, 
But, you know, you, you look at some of these teams. I mean, first of all, we talked about the Blue Bloods all year, but Kentucky wasn't even in the tournament. Duke wasn't even in the tournament. Kansas was a, a three seed. They're already out. North Carolina was an eight seed. They're already out. Michigan State didn't win a game in the NCAA tournament. And I do think the fact that these rosters change over so quickly at the highest levels of the sport, I do think it matters. I also think on the flip side, you got to look at some of the the teams that are quote unquote not very good or lower seeded and realize they're probably a little bit better in general than we give them credit for. First of all, I'll give you a, a, a bad example of this, but like Loyola Chicago, that was not an eight seed if you watch that team. They went, I think, 24 and four during the regular season, won the Missouri Valley beat some good teams in the out of conference, but that is a team that's a perfect example of what I'm saying about the gap closing between the really good teams and the really bad teams. Loyola Chicago won 21 games last year, and they brought back their top eight scorers from last year. So, and especially in a year like this, but even not in a year like this, that is a team that over time is just going to be better because they're more experienced, they know each other, they've played in NCAA tournaments. That stuff matters. I'll take it a step further. Look at a team like Abilene Christian. They didn't have the greatest win-loss record or Oral Roberts. They didn't have the greatest win-loss record. But Oral Roberts, go back and look at their out-of-conference schedule. Oral Roberts, here is who Oral Roberts played in the out-of-conference. They played at Arkansas, who, oh, by the way, they're playing in the Sweet 16 this weekend, which is kind of a crazy thought altogether. But they played Arkansas in the out-of-conference. They played at Wichita. They played at Missouri. They played at Oklahoma State. They played at Oklahoma. Do you think they were scared to play against Ohio State? They played at Bud Walton Arena. They played at Gallagher-Iber Arena. They played at Lloyd Noble Arena. They played against Wichita State. You think they're going to be scared of playing Ohio State? Because I don't think they're going to be scared of playing Ohio State. Same with Abilene Christian. Again, they played Arkansas. They played a couple teams in the Big 12. They're not going to be afraid, especially because they're older, they're more veteran, they're more experienced, they're confident in what they do, and you get these, these power conference teams that they flip over their roster every year trying to find the secret sauce as you lose players to the NBA, you're bringing in transfers, you're bringing in freshmen. It shouldn't be a surprise that the gap between the really good teams and the really bad teams is smaller. That is reason number one why I believe there are so many upsets. Reason number two, and this is very basic, I don't think we seeded these teams very well, and it's because we didn't have an out-of-conference portion of the season. Now, we played some out-of-conference games. I mean, we got the Big Ten ACC Challenge. We got the, uh, you know, Champions Classic. We got some weird version of the Maui Invitational, but we didn't really get those five, six weeks to evaluate who was good, how good they were, and how they stacked up against other elite competition. And so when I look at this tournament, I mean, it's hard not to say that we completely misseeded a lot of teams. From the Big Ten's perspective, we just assumed the Big Ten was good because, oh, they beat up on each other. And look at Michigan State. They're 9-11 and 11 in the Big Ten, but the Big Ten's so tough. Well, how do we know the Big Ten's tough? Nobody played anybody else out of conference. How do we know the Pac-12 is bad? The Pac-12 didn't play anybody out of conference. And so when you factor in that we had no out of conference games to actually determine who is good and who is bad, I think we saw a ton of missed seedings. It's really funny. I tweeted it out after USC won to become the fourth Pac-12 team to clinch a, uh, a, a Sweet 16 bid. And I said, maybe the committee will stay up next year and actually watch these teams. And of course, I had some media members chirping at me. Oh, well, who was actually misseeded? Well, everybody was misseeded. Look at it. I mean, you can't have Iowa as, or Iowa as a two seed playing Oregon as a seven seed, and Oregon is just very clearly the better team. It's just clear that teams were not seeded as well this year because of the fact that we had no out-of-conference portion of the slate. 
And the third reason, and I think this is really important, and I'm the only one that I've heard say this so far, and so I think this is a real reason as to why the tournament has been so crazy, and I think it's because of the weird setup of the NCAA tournament this year. And what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that this whole season, this whole year, this whole NCAA, this whole everything has been completely different than anything we've ever had before, and it has trickled into the NCAA tournament, whereas I've told you, this is unlike anything these kids have ever dealt with before. And to fully explain this, let me kind of tell you what a normal NCAA tournament is like, and then I'll tell you what this NCAA tournament is like. Normal NCAA tournament, let's say you open the tournament on Thursday, Thursday afternoon, Thursday night, whatever. Usually that means you're getting into town on Tuesday, uh, probably Tuesday night, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night. You will then have media av availability all day Wednesday. That's probably one or two hours. You're at the arena. You're talking to reporters. You'll have a practice. You'll go have a team meal. You'll go to bed. You'll get up and play the next day. A lot of stuff going on, a lot of distractions. You're not in front of the TV. You're not watching everybody else. Well, think about this year. Think about this year. First of all, players, everybody got into town at the latest on Monday of last week. Some teams got in Saturday and Sunday. They didn't play most of the field until Friday or Saturday. So you're basically sitting in a hotel from Sunday or Monday when you arrive for an extra day or two on the back end. Instead of playing Thursday or Friday, you're playing Friday or Saturday. And on top of that, you can't really do anything other than just sit around and do nothing. And for a normal NCAA tournament, like I said, you have press availability. You have more detailed practice and walkthroughs. You have team dinners where you just get out of the hotel room. On a day off, you'll go do stuff around town. I mean, I live in L.A., and when teams come to town to play here in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, if they have an off day, they'll take their kids to the beach. They'll take their kids to, um, you know, uh, the, the area around Staples Center just to go shopping, just to get out of the hotel, just to be distracted. This year, though, it's a completely different deal. You get into town Monday. All the media availability is virtual. Uh, and then you're basically sitting around your hotel for the rest of the time that you're there. You wake up, you sit around your hotel, you maybe go get a COVID test, you come back, uh, you then go to practice for an hour, you come back to your hotel, and you wait to play your game. On your day off, the only time that you're really leaving the hotel room is to go to practice. Other than that, media availability is online. There's no off-day activities. There's no team meals. There's no nothing to do to distract you. And so what are you doing? You're sitting in your room all day. You're watching everybody else play. You're watching other teams get upset. And you have no way to escape anything but basketball. And some would wonder, well, why does that matter? Well, it matters because just think about it. First of all, you're showing up to the arena. You're probably not as loose as, as just energetic because you're probably more lethargic because you've been sitting around the hotel all day. Remember, keep in mind, these players all have their own individual hotel rooms, so that's part of it too. You don't have any human interaction throughout the day. You're sitting around. You're watching basketball all day. You're watching teams get upset. You're saying, oh, my goodness, that can't be us. We better come out focused, ready to play. You get to the arena. You're a little bit, like I said, it takes you a little bit more longer to warm up. And then, oh, by the way, once the game tips off, as soon as you fall down, you say, oh, my goodness, we better not lose this game. We can't be like Purdue. We can't be like Ohio State. We can't be like Texas. We got to win this game. You get tight, you play nervous, and next thing you know, you have a bunch of upsets. I'll just give you an example that, that I, I talked about a lot throughout this week. But think about Texas. Texas played Abilene Christian the last game of the day on Saturday. 
That means that Texas, this was already, by the way, a bad matchup for them. Abilene Christian, uh, at the time, their season is now over, but forced a lot of turnovers. They're, 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 they were really good defensively. Well, think about Texas. They were sitting around the hotel all day Friday, all day Saturday, probably didn't leave for the arena until about 7 or 8 o'clock. Their, their tip-off was about 9 p.m. local time. Didn't tip off till 9, probably didn't leave for the arena till 7. Games start at noon Eastern. They're sitting around all day watching these games, watching all these teams get upset, saying, oh my goodness, look at this team lost, that team lost. We played them. We thought they were good. They just lost. What does it mean? Then you get to the arena. You're probably not as loose as normal. You can't. It takes longer to get warmed up. You fall behind against the team that you already were going to struggle with, and you get nervous, and you play tight, and that's how upsets happen. And so when I look at this totality of the NCAA tournament, I think there are real reasons that there were significant upsets in the manner in which they happen. Now, there's always going to be upsets, and this is an ever-evolving sport, and I think it's going to continue to be that way. But when I look at this specific tournament, I do think there were certain things that led to upsets in the manner that we had them. Not saying there won't be upsets in the future, but I do think that, uh, yeah, that we will probably... Uh, you know, this was this was an unprecedented opening weekend, and I still kind of believe that it's a reflection of how crazy this season was. And when we get back to a normal season next year, when we get back to a normal NCAA tournament next year, that it's a very good chance that we'll see at least a few less upsets. Speaking of upsets, you know where I'm going next. Oh, I'm going to our buddies of the Big Ten. That's right. And by the way, before we get into the Big Ten, I want to give you guys on social media a ton of credit because I was one of the guys hyping up the Big Ten. I was one of the guys saying it's one of the best conferences I've ever seen. There's no nights off. Anybody can beat anybody else. Michigan's a championship contender. Illinois is a championship contender. On and on and on and on and on. And you guys on social media said, Torres, you're doing it again. You're overrating them. They stink. They're always overrated. I didn't listen to you. And congratulations to you. You were right. I was wrong. The Big Ten freaking stunk. Okay, and as we look back on the Big Ten, they had nine teams enter the NCAA tournament. They had a grand total of one make the Sweet 16. They had a one seed lose in round two. They had a two seed lose in round one. They had a four seed lose in round one. And in total, four of their teams were beaten by teams that were ranked lower than them uh, in this NCAA tournament. And so when I look at the totality of what happened to the Big Ten this year, I have to ask one question, and I think I know the answer. Did the Big Ten just have the single most disappointing NCAA tournament, regardless of what Michigan does? Nine teams enter, only one team even makes the Sweet 16, and they had to hold on for dear life against LSU. Is it possible that we just witnessed the most disappointing effort ever from one single conference and I got to be honest, I think the answer is yes. I think the Big Ten just put forth the most disappointing effort ever in the history of the NCAA tournament. And I don't even think that's debatable. I think when you look at this Big Ten, again, it's what I said a minute ago. This was supposed to be a historic season, and that's not just my opinion. That was backed up by how the NCAA decided to seed these teams. The Big Ten became the first team in the history of college basketball with two number one seeds and two number two seeds, Michigan and Illinois both earning one seeds, Ohio State and Iowa both earning two seeds, 
Three of those four teams are out before the first weekend of the NCAA tournament is over. And like I said, when you look at the top five teams in that league that were all really good, four of them are out, all four lost to lower-seeded teams. Three of them lost in just, well, all four of them really lost in catastrophic fashion. Ohio State as a two-seed, losing to a 15-seed, Oral Roberts. Purdue losing as a four-seed to a 13-seed, North Texas. Iowa getting destroyed by Oregon as a two-seed Oregon was a seven-seed, Illinois losing to Loyola of Chicago. And so, again, it goes back to why the upsets happened. I just talked about the upsets, and a lot of you are asking me, why was the Big Ten so bad? What happened? What do we need to know? Why did it not work out? And, again, I, I think there's a few reasons why. I think, first of all, I do think there were some weird circumstances that led to some of these teams being upset, right? First of all, we have to consider the fact that some of these teams just lost to teams that they were supposed to lose to. Rutgers, say what you want about Rutgers. Don't think I've mentioned Rutgers one time on this show. Rutgers was a 10 seed. They beat a 7. They lost to Houston. That's how it's supposed to go. Credit to Rutgers for playing as hard as they did. Credit to Wisconsin, who I have crushed time and time again. I thought they played about as good of a first-round NCAA tournament game as anybody, crushing North Carolina, destroying them. And I thought they played Baylor pretty tough on Sunday in the second round. So there were those teams that did play well. And I do think there were some unique circumstances. I still believe that if Michigan was fully 100% healthy, I think that's a team that could compete for a national championship. Not an excuse, not blaming them, but when you lose your second leading scorer to injury, um, like, and he's not playing in the tournament, there isn't a team that could overcome that if that happened and still be at 100%, certainly not at a national championship level. Illinois, I will go to my grave believing that they entered this tournament as the second best team in the NCAA tournament. It just so happened that they played a Loyola Chicago club that I think I mentioned it a minute ago. I don't even know what I'm talking about on this show right now. It's about 1.30 a.m. Eastern time as I'm recording. Um, you know, they played a misseeded Loyola of Chicago team. Like, Loyola of Chicago should not have been an eight seed. And I'm not going to defend Illinois because I do want to credit Illinois Chicago real quick. I crush my girl sister Jean left and right. I, I stomp on her. I never stop talking about her. I must be obsessed with her or something. But listen. Loyola Chicago was the better team, better coached, better executed, uh, had a game plan and were phenomenal. They deserved to win that game. But I also think Illinois kind of got screwed with the bracket because that was, should not have been an eight seed. That should not have been a team that they played in the second round. Now, if you're a number one seed, it doesn't matter. At some point, you got to beat good teams, not making excuses for them. But I think that's the reality. So I think, one, you had some teams that lost to teams they're supposed to. Um, two, you had teams like Illinois that just kind of, got an unfortunate draw but the other part of it and I know it's what you guys are waiting for me to tell you is that some of these teams were just overrated like I can't defend it I can't argue it I can't fight it I can't find analytics to back it up some of these teams are just flat out overrated take Iowa I liked Iowa all year I thought they were pretty good I had them in my elite eight I know you don't care about my bracket but I'm just using it as context to set up this conversation I thought Iowa was a really good team when you get destroyed by a seven seed in your bracket, it means you just weren't that good. Oh, by the way, that seven seed, never forget, that seven seed didn't even play an opening round NCAA tournament game. Oregon's game against VCU got canceled. They didn't even play an opening round game. And so when I look at that, there's nothing else to say 
other than that Iowa was overrated. There's nothing else to say other than that Ohio State, which, oh, by the way, finished 12-8 and in the Big Ten, tw- entered the NCAA tournament 21-9 and overall. They probably just shouldn't have been a two-seed. They, they, they were not a two-seed caliber team. Again, it goes back to what I said a minute ago. Because we had no out-of-conference metrics to determine this stuff, basically they were probably misseeded. Purdue, good team but not great. And I do think that plays into, in my opinion, why the Big Ten struggled beyond just the weird scheduling with Illinois versus Loyola Chicago or just the fact that they were overrated. I do think it does come down to how these teams are built and how these teams are structured and how they try to win games. And it was funny because after the Illinois game, and I don't know that I agree with it, but I had a good buddy in the Big Ten just say, dude, we can't keep trotting out these teams and trying to win like this. And what he meant was, and I don't think Illinois was a good example, because if you look at the history of the NCAA tournament, look, you can pick apart this, that, metric, whatever, blah, 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 blah. You got to have pros. You got to have NBA players. You got to have difference makers to actually win this national championship. I mean, you can go back to Virginia three years ago, two years ago, the last NCAA tournament that was played. We think about Virginia as this slow, plodding, boring team. They win the national championship in 2019. They had three guys drafted in the next NBA draft. Two of them were first rounders. I'm blanking on DeAndre Hunter, Kyle Guy, and I'm blanking on the other guy's name. I can't think of it off the top of my head. It's driving me crazy. But they had three guys drafted off that team. Villanova, I believe, had either four or five guys drafted off their 2018 national championship team. And so, oh, by the way, that's why I do think I will go to my grave believing, by the way, that guy's name was Ty Jerome. I would have never gotten that. Ty Jerome was the third Virginia player from a couple years ago. But I bring it up because that's why I believe that Illinois could have won the national because they got real NBA players. Like, I would assume it was going to be a top 15 pick. Kofi Coburn is as good as a college basketball big guy as you're going to have. I think there's other guys on that team that will get cups of coffee in the NBA. It's why I've liked Michigan throughout this season. I think they got at least three pros on their roster. Franz Wagner is definitely a pro. Hunter Dickinson is a pro. I think Chandy Brown is a pro. They're six man off the bench. And so you got to have those difference makers to win at this level, to win and compete for national championships. And when Illinois lost, my buddy texted me, he said, we just don't have good enough players. And you look at how these Big Ten teams are built, and I'm not saying anybody should change how they build teams. Like, like if you're having success, if you're making $3 million a year doing it your way, and you're going to the tournament every year, and you're having success, and you're getting paid, and I'm sitting here in a one-bedroom apartment in California, you do you, because you're winning the game of life. But I'm just telling you, I'm looking at it from the bigger perspective of why are these teams not winning, and it's like, you need difference makers, and a lot of these teams don't have them. You look at Ohio State, like, I like Ohio State, they were a fun team to watch, but what did I tell you guys all year? I picked Arkansas to beat them in the bracket because I said, look at them. They don't have a single difference maker on their team. They don't do anything at an elite level. They got a couple really good college guards. They don't have anybody great. Their big guy, EJ Liddell, their center is six foot eight. Can't win a national championship with a six foot eight center. Not unless you shoot like 44% from three like your Baylor. Same with Purdue. Purdue's a really good program. How many guys they got in the NBA right now? I can't think of many. There might be one or two, but even Carson Edwards, who was great for them two years ago in the NCAA tournament, he's not playing in the NBA right now. And so to me, when I go to the Big Ten and I look at why they're struggling the way that they are, I think it's a couple things. I think, one, a couple teams just got screwed with seeding. Illinois, I still believe, I will go to my grave believing, they were one of the two or three best teams in this tournament. Michigan got screwed with injuries. You got a Rutgers, a team like that, that actually played to its seed. 
But then you got a Purdue. It's the same thing every year with Purdue. They're really good. They win a bunch of games in the regular season. Then they run into somebody great in the NCAA tournament, and they just don't have enough talent. Ohio State, it was the same thing this year with Chris Holtman. It's funny. I think you can actually make a football analogy here. And you guys know I love college football. Remember when Jim Trestle was at Ohio State? And Jim Trestle, and I've used this analogy before, but Jim, Jim Trestle, I always used to say, Jim Trestle used to build teams that were good enough to win the Big Ten. They'd win the Big Ten every year, go 11-0, 12-0, 12-1, whatever it was. Then they'd get to the national championship game, and what would happen? They'd get curb stomped by Urban Meyer's Florida Gators. They'd get curb stomped by Les Miles' LSU Tigers. they just get destroyed by everybody they played in big bowl games. And when Urban Meyer came in, the difference was Urban Meyer said, no, 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 no. I'm recruiting like an SEC school. I am recruiting not to win a Big Ten championship. I'm recruiting to win a national championship. And again, you look at where Ohio State has gone for its football players over the last couple of years. This isn't just a little regional, we recruit Ohio and Michigan kind of program. Top two receivers this year, Garrett Wilson from Texas, Chris Olave from California, Justin Fields from Georgia, top offensive tackle or offensive guard, Wyatt Davis, first round pick is from California. They got difference makers all over the field from all over the country because Urban Meyer went out and said, look guys, we're going to win, we're here to win national championships. We're not here to win Big Ten championships, we're here to win national championships. And I do think to a degree, that is what some of these basketball programs are doing. I think Michigan recruits to win national championships. They got the number one recruiting class in the country coming in next year on top of everything they've done this year. Illinois has pros. They have difference makers. Orlando Antigua, one of the best recruiters in the country. But then you look at Purdue. They look like a nice, good Big Ten team that's going to go 26-9 and in the Big Ten, and they're going to lose in the second round. Ohio State, it's the same. Iowa, I hate to say it, I love Luka Garza. He's not, probably not even the best NBA prospect on his team. It's probably Joe Wieskamp. It's probably C.J. Frederick. And so I don't think there's anything else to say other than that this conference was overrated the entire year. And I think you do have to kind of look at how some of these teams are built, the players that they have, because, man, I'm telling you, you flip on these games. Look at the difference between the type of player and the type of athlete Oregon had versus Iowa when they played. Look at the difference between an Alabama as a two-seed versus an Ohio State as a two-seed. And you can't tell me that Alabama had an easier draw than Ohio State, and that's why they're in the Sweet 16, because Alabama had... Uh, Iona and Rick Pitino, pretty good freaking head coach. And then on top of that, they had a good Maryland team today. So I just sit there and I look at the Big Ten, and I just think that it's it's kind of a, a an almost a come-to-Jesus moment for the Big Ten in terms of they got to figure out what they're doing here because I'm not saying they, they, that some of these programs will never win, but I think that <laughs> the, the, there's a reason that they've gone 20 now, 21 years without winning a national championship. The last one was Tom Izzo in Michigan State in 2000. They get to the NCAA tournament. They just don't match up with these elite teams and these elite programs. Sometimes you don't get lucky. Sometimes you have bad breaks. But a 21-year drought, and we're going to get to 21 years this year, that is not a coincidence. That is something that's wrong, and that's what's going on with the Big Ten. All right, I do want to wrap on a couple other topics. And look, there is one other really big topic from this weekend. Um, and I think you guys know what it is. And I think you know where I'm going. It is the Pac-12. Because as bad as the Big Ten was, as overrated as the Big Ten was, uh, the Pac-12 was underrated. And shout out to Bill Walton. He's been telling us for years, Conference of Champions, we're underrated. Bill Walton had five Pac-12 teams in the Final Four this year. Well, Bill Walton might have been onto something. Because the Pac-12 has been unquestionably 
the best conference in this NCAA tournament. 10-1 overall, four teams out of 16 in the Sweet 16. That's right, UCLA in the Sweet 16, 3-0 in this NCAA tournament. Beat Michigan State, beat BYU, beat Abilene Christian. USC in the Sweet 16, beat Drake, beat Kansas, Oregon State, beat Tennessee, beat Oklahoma State. And of course, finally, the Oregon Ducks did not play their opener, but they beat Iowa. And you look at those wins. Oh, by the way, Colorado beat Georgetown as well. You look at those wins. You have four teams in the Sweet 16. And here's the crazy part. All four of those teams beat a higher ranked team at some point in their run to get there. UCLA beat a six seed to get as an 11 seed. Um, Oregon beat an ele- beat a two seed as a seven seed. Oregon State beat a five seed and a four seed to get there as a 12 seed. And USC as a six seed beat Kansas. And so, of course, the next question, it's a question I keep asking, the why, right? This is what we do on this show. Everybody else has the what, I tell you the why. And I think when it comes to the Pac-12, I think it really is as simple as the opposite of the Big Ten. The Big Ten, I think it was just overrated all year. The Pac-12, I don't think there's anything other to say than that it was underrated. Because you cannot have four different teams in the Sweet 16, all of them beating higher-seeded teams to get there, and not say that it's underrated. And so when I look at the why of the Pac-12, I actually think it's really simple. I think this conference is just better than we gave it credit for. And you know who I give credit for for saying it? Because he says it in every interview that he does? Friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, Mick Cronin. Every interview he does. He said, before I got to the Pac-12, I heard how soft it was. I heard how uncompetitive it was. He's like, then I got here. He's like, we got great coaches. We got great players. We got great teams. And I think it's been on display in this NCAA tournament. We got real teams, real players, real programs in the Pac-12, starting with Oregon. I mean, Dana Altman's a Hall of Famer. Dana Altman's been around forever. Been to a Final Four at Oregon. Like, that is a really good coach. And then you look at that roster, he's got three real difference makers in that program. Chris Duarte, Eugenio Mayori, LJ Figueroa. All three came from different schools. Omiyori came from Rutgers. Uh, LJ Figueroa came from St. John's. Those are real programs. They were double-figure scorers. They were stars at other programs. They come to Oregon. They come together, well-coached. And again, you watched them against Iowa. They were the better team from start to finish. UCLA, you could say what you want about Mick Cronin. But he, and oh, by the way, you could say what you want about Steve Alford. But Steve Alford left the cupboard full for Mick Cronin. Everybody on that roster is a former top 100 recruit. I would actually be interested. I don't know that I have the time to do it. There's probably a chance that if you go through roster by roster of every team in the NCAA tournament that's still left in the Sweet 16, UCLA might have the highest rated roster in this NCAA tournament. I mean, Cody Riley, their big guy, was a top 40 recruit. Um, You know, Tiger Campbell, their point guard, was a top 40 recruit. You go on and on and on down the list. They have some really good players in that program. And by the way, shout out to Mick Cronin. Some people think they shouldn't have gotten into the NCAA tournament, but this was a team that in the middle of the season lost their leading scorer, Chris Smith, to an injury. They come back. By the way, Johnny Juzang, I didn't even mention, top 30 recruit, former Kentucky player. I mean, they got talent. UCLA's a really good team. Oregon State, a little bit of a different deal, but they got difference makers. They got guys like Jared Lucas, the guys like Alatiche. And so when I look at the Pac-12, oh, by the way, I didn't even mention USC. USC has a top five pick in Evan Mobley. Isaiah Mobley, his older brother, 6'11 dude that can handle, that can shoot, that can score. USC, by the way, shout out to me. I'm just telling you. And I'm completely off the rails right now, just like Bill Walton. I must be a a contact high with Bill Walton. 
But I told you about a month, month and a half ago, you can go back and listen. I told you USC was the most underrated team in the, in the country in college basketball, and it proved to, to be true on Tuesday night. I mean, if you watch that game against Kansas, they were the better team in every way, shape, and form against Kansas. It wasn't even close. It wasn't even competitive. They, were, they weren't even playing the same sport. And it is because Andy Enfield has recruited well. It's because of the Mobley, twin, Mobley, Mobley brothers. They're not twins. Evan's a freshman. Isaiah's a sophomore. But it's because of the Mobley brothers. And then credit to the USC staff. They surrounded them with really talented players. Drew Peterson, transfer from Rice. Ethan Anderson, point guard from L.A. Uh, Tajidi, transfer from Santa Clara. They knew what they wanted to do. They knew how they wanted to build the program around the Mobley guys. And they are phenomenal. And so when it comes to the Pac-12, I'm just telling you, this conference remains grossly underrated, and I think they're going to have some interesting matchups and success this coming weekend. First of all, we know we're going to get at least one Pac-12 team in the Elite Eight because Oregon and USC are playing each other uh, in, the suites, in the Sweet 16 on Sunday. And so because of it, we're going to get at least one Pac-12 team in the Sweet 16. But I'll tell you this. Oregon State plays Loyola. Would it be stunning to you if Oregon State pulled off that upset? Because it wouldn't be stunning to me. UCLA does play Alabama. That's going to be a tough one. But I'm just bringing it up because I'm telling you, man, this is a good conference with good players and good coaches, and there's nothing else to it. There's no big sweeping like, this is what happened and it was crazy. Like, you can't tell me that there were lucky matchups or lucky breaks or lucky this or lucky that when all four teams that are in the Sweet 16 beat higher-seeded teams to get here. I think what it's a byproduct of, and maybe it's a bigger conversation for another day, I do think the system that we have in place, this net system and the computer rankings, is flawed. I don't know how it can't be when you have all these Big Ten teams super highly ranked and they all get knocked out. You have all these Pac-12 teams super, you know, misseeded and they're still in the NCAA tournament. Same with Loyola Chicago. But shout out to USC, shout out to Oregon State, shout out to Oregon, shout out to UCLA. Four different Pac-12 teams in the final 16 of the NCAA tournament. Uh, just a couple more notes before we get out of here. Uh, I'm going long, doing what Torres does. Just a couple more notes. First of all, Alabama is in its first Sweet 16 since 2004, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but it, it's just what, what Nate Oates has done there is incredible. Two years, uh, Nate Oates is now, uh, he, this is what Nate Oates has done in year two at Alabama. First SEC regular season title since 2002. This is all just this year for Nate Oates at Alabama. First SEC regular season title since 2002. First SEC tournament title since 1991. First SEC player of the year since 2002. First SEC coach of the year since 2002. First Sweet 16 since 2004. Nate Oates has Alabama rolling. First time in 17 years that Alabama is in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And all I will say as it pertains to Nate Oates is this. It ain't slowing down at Alabama anytime soon. And what I will tell you is, I know we have a lot of fans from a lot of different fan bases that listen to this show, and some of you guys say, oh, he, he's not going to be there any longer. Kentucky will scoop him up. Duke will scoop him up. He's from Michigan. He'll go back to Michigan State. And I'm not saying that he'll, he'll end his career at Alabama. And I, I don't want to poo-poo this, Alabama fans. I'm not trying to bring you down on an incredible day. I'm not saying he's going to end his career there. But what I am telling you, fans of other schools plus Alabama fans, Nate Oates is going to be there a while. Remember, he has a $12 million buyout in his contract right now. If you want to negotiate with him, you've got to pay Alabama $12 million just for the right to talk to him. Next year, it goes down to eight. 
Next year it goes down from there, but as I've said many times, if Nate Oates keeps winning like this, he's going to get a contract extension in two years. That buyout's going to go back up to $12, $15 million, and I don't think he's going to go anywhere. He talked about it in his post-game press conference today. The idea of that, you know, people were saying, well, it's a football school. He's like, yeah, we're not a football school. We're a championship school. We expect to win championships in all our sports. And, oh, by the way, football brings in a lot of money to allow me to do what I need to do. On top of that with Nate Oates, this is something I tweeted a lot of people thought was very, very interesting. I think they're going to take off in recruiting over the next couple of years. I think as this transfer portal stuff picks up, as transfers become more prevalent, I think what happens in college basketball is kids are going to see how Alabama plays, and they're going to say, I want to be part of that. I've talked to AAU coaches. I've talked to high school coaches. I've talked to parents that are like, dude, like Alabama, like that's what I want my son to be doing because that's going to get him ready for the NBA. And the difference between recruiting out of high school and recruiting with transfers is, is it's a big difference. And I think people get this confused. Well, you know, I'm a Kentucky fan. Everybody wants to go to Kentucky. Everybody wants to go to Duke. Everybody wants to go to North Carolina. I'm not saying that everybody doesn't want to go to Duke or Kentucky or North Carolina. But what I am saying is I do think for high school players, there is a certain prestige with getting an offer from Duke, with getting an offer from Kentucky, with getting an offer from North Carolina, that I don't think it matters to transfers. Recruiting transfers is so different than recruiting high school players. High school players, they want the glitz, they want the glamour, they want the facilities, they want the bling, the cachet of getting a Kentucky offer, a Duke offer, a Gonzaga offer, and then they want to get the heck out to the NBA. Recruiting transfers, though, that's a totally different deal. Recruiting transfers, they went somewhere and it didn't work out. They bought into the hype. They bought into the cachet. They bought into getting a scholarship offer from this place or getting an offer, and it didn't work. And so now they want to go somewhere where they know they can be put in a position to succeed, a position to have success, a position to get to the next level. And I think Alabama's going to take off. If you're a guard that wants to play up and down, if you're a three-point shooter, if you're a big guy that wants to stretch the floor, you're going to want to go to Alabama. And so I don't want to belabor the point. I don't want to talk about it too much. But I am just telling you point blank straight up. I have talked to AAU coaches. I've talked to high school coaches. I've talked to parents that are like, we want to play for that guy. We want to play in that program, in that system, because it's going to get us ready for the NBA. And I'm telling you, I think this Alabama thing is going to continue to take off. I think it's just getting started. Uh, a couple other notes. Arkansas, shout out to the Razorbacks. Uh, incredible win over Texas Tech. Uh, by the way, Razorback fans, be nice to my friend Todd Furman. Todd Furman actually has been on this podcast a few times very early when I started the show. He's a good friend of mine. Be nice. For people who didn't see, Todd Furman, the CBS Sports, uh, and he works for Fox, too. He works with me at Fox. Um, gambling expert. He said that Texas Tech was his favorite play of the day on Sunday, and he said something pseudo-offensive about how uh, you know Chris Beard was licking his chops or something to coach against Eric Musselman. And Eric Musselman took offense to that. Arkansas took offense to that. Uh, Arkansas wins. They go to their first Sweet 16. No other major takeaways from there. I picked them to go to the Elite Eight. I'm not surprised by this at all. I told you this was a good draw for them. I told you they matched up well with Texas Tech. They get that win, but I am happy for that program. First time in 25 years that they have been to the Sweet 16. Kind of incredible. I mean, I got friends that cover that beat that are 23, 24, 25, 26, 27 don't remember the last time Arkansas went to a Sweet 16. So really incredible, really happy for them. My only other thought on kind of Musselman, Oates, and another guy I just talked about, Mick Cronin, as well as Juwan Howard. We now have a Sweet 16 with four coaches who are in their second year. Juwan Howard at Michigan, Mick Cronin at UCLA, 
uh, Nate Oates at Alabama, and Eric Musselman at Arkansas. And they all kind of inherited different deals, and so I don't want to compare one to the other. Michigan was like a top 10 team in the country before Juwan Howard got there, but I thought he, I think he's even taken them to another level. Uh, UCLA was really talented, but they really struggled under Steve Alford. And Alabama and Arkansas were in a little bit of a deeper place. But all four of those coaches in year two have their teams in the Sweet 16 with Alabama, Arkansas, and Michigan all as top three seeds. What stands out to me is the fact that uh, the coming into a place and selling a five-year plan to an AD, good luck doing that because Nate Oates just ruined it for everybody. Eric Musselman just ruined it for everybody. Juwan Howard and Mick Cronin all ruined it for everybody because they're in the Sweet 16 in year two. My only other real thought from this weekend uh, is Gonzaga. And look, I don't know if they're going to win the national championship. They're my pick. I didn't get to watch the Oklahoma game closely. I was hosting Fox Sports Radio, uh, filling in for Doug Gottlieb. So I did not get to watch the Oklahoma game closely. But what I would say is this. Gonzaga now six straight Sweet 16s at the very least in the last six NCAA tournaments. Uh, they've obviously made three Elite Eights and a Final Four during that stretch. We'll see if they can continue that success going forward. But I'll just tell you, I get it. They have to win a national championship to get the monkey off their back. They've only been to one Final Four making all these NCAA tournaments. But this idea that they always choke, they always underachieve, they're the only team that has made six straight NCAA, six, six straight Sweet 16s in the last six NCAA tournaments. Credit to them as they cruise past, as best I could tell they cruised past, I don't know if they did or not, but it looked like they cruised past Oklahoma and they are in the Sweet 16 for the sixth straight NCAA tournament. Shout out to Creighton, who looked awesome. Creighton now has uh, Gonzaga the next round. Shout out to Baylor, which I didn't talk about much. Shout out to Syracuse. I am so tired of Syracuse, but they are once again in the Sweet 16. Death taxes Jim Beheim as a double-digit seed in the NCAA tournament. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. A lot we got into in this episode, but it's a fun time of year, and I love doing this, and I am so, so, so grateful for uh, everything that you guys do for me, which allows me to do this show, so thank you to all of you guys for continuing to subscribe, to rate and review. We got a bunch of new ratings and reviews that I will look over. I'll read them in the coming episodes, uh, and as I said, Nick Coffey will join me on Thursday, and I will do a full preview of the fri of the Saturday-Sunday. Remember, NCAA tournament picks back up Saturday. No Thursday games, no Friday games. Saturday, Sunday, Sweet 16. Monday, Tuesday, Elite Eight. And so I will probably do a Monday episode after the Sweet 16, a Wednesday episode for after the uh, Elite Eight, and then we'll preview the Final Four. But it is a fun time of year, and thank you guys so much. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Also, if you are on that KSR feed, make sure to flip over, find me on the Aaron Torres podcast feed. We will talk about college hoops all offseason right into football and beyond. Make sure to rate and review. Give us a quick five stars. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com if you do have any questions for the show. But that is all for today's show. I am out of here. I will be back Thursday with Nick Coffee. Have a lot of fun previewing the weekend ahead. But until then, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I am done. I will be back later this week. Have a great Tuesday, party people.